Pastor Scott and lead pastor of the river. And really glad that you're checking out our uh, online podcast and our services and hope that you are blessed by this. Certainly, if you have any questions, if you're wondering about stuff that goes on here or maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them, feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you. love to answer any questions that you have. Uh, we hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's Word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known, that you know how much he truly, truly, truly loves you. Thanks for checking us out, and uh, enjoy the service. Um, so if I start like this, be kind and compassionate to one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ Jesus, God forgave you. Memory verse from last week about kindness on your refrigerator, magnets on your refrigerator. I want to encourage you again on the top of your um, little worship folder in the announcement sheet is the memory verse for next week from Ephesians 2.10 about goodness for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Certainly having God's word in our hearts and our lives is a good exercise, and it certainly affirms this whole idea of bearing fruit that we're talking about over the course of this Lenten season, uh, Life on the Vine. Today we're going to be talking about kindness, and we're going to be talking um, from God's word in Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 27. And I got to be honest, again, in my study this past week, I was struck uh, by this particular topic. Last week, we talked about patience and uh, how... uh, Patience is really pivotal to be growing in faith. And I got to admit, I received more texts from you guys uh, last week about that sermon than I have in a long time, including anger at, uh, from a husband towards a wife who chose the long line at the grocery store because he was being impatient. I also had someone offer their children to me for a couple days so that I could grow in my patience. So fun things. Uh, and feel free to interact uh, with with me, either via email or otherwise, just about uh, some of the things that God is exposing you to um, in his word and through the power of, of uh, the, the text, I want to encourage you to, to continue to grow in your faith and understanding of God's word as we seek to truly bear fruit in our lives. Again, Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 27, turning your Bibles there, and as we prepare to hear God's word, let's pray together. Living God, we are so grateful that you continue to move in our hearts and our lives through the power of your word. And we pray, Father, that as we consider the topic of kindness and how it is that you teach it to us in this powerful text, this powerful teaching of yours, we pray, Father, that you move through our hearts and our lives to the deepest part Uh, where it is difficult to be kind, where it is challenging to consider what it means to be kind to others, where true kindness comes from. We pray, O God, that through the power of your Spirit and because of the work of Jesus Christ, that truly our hearts move towards that. We long to be more like you. We long to be you to the world around us. Lord, may that truth 
seep into our hearts today and equip us as we go from this place, energized to put your love on display to the world around us. Father God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 27. But you, but to, excuse me, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm talking about kindness today. And if I ask you this question, what is kindness? What, what sort of things do kind people do? What would you say? Just yell out an answer. Or what, what do kind people do? What do they do? What's that? They're courteous to others, okay? Good. Let other people go first in line, open the door for them, okay? Share, okay? So there is not a sense not of my own individual, but a corporate where, you know, we, we, what we have is for others too. Okay, sharing. What else? You don't hold a grudge, okay? Kind. Kindness is not to continue to be angry with one who's hurt you. Forgive. What's that? Generous, good. There's, there's lots of different words and phrases that we would use to describe kindness. And, <clears throat> excuse me, as we sort of, as I, I looked at it this week, I thought to myself, okay, you know, I know what a kind person is. Excuse me. A kind person is someone who does hold the door for someone else or gives to others generously. We heard that word generosity already. We heard, you know, these ideas of, you know, sort of, uh, it's being tender. Almost, you know, in some ways, we might use the word nice. A kind person is a nice person. But when I read this text... It's pretty clear to me that kindness is much deeper and wider and, frankly, harder 
than that. Kindness in its true form doesn't just cross lines that are drawn in order for us to serve someone who might be easy to serve, even a stranger, holding a door for a stranger, or, you know, helping older women across the street, you know, the Boy Scout idea. It's more than that. True kindness, as we understand it from God's Word this morning, crosses lines that, frankly, we don't easily cross. They're the lines that are actually much deeper and much wider. And we see right from the beginning of the text that Jesus is speaking to a people who have drawn lines. The Jews have done a good job of that. And the reason that the Jews, and he's in, at this point, Galilee, the province north of the Sea of Galilee. He's outside of Jerusalem, but it, so it's sort of a, a backwoods area, but even still, this backwoods area of Galilee experiences the oppression of Rome in some pretty big ways. They pay taxes. There were roads that went through Galilee, and if a Roman soldier was going along the road, it was not unusual for them to grab whoever they wanted to carry their bundle, to carry their equipment, and to take them to the next town or even even further than that and force them to do what they didn't want to do. They could steal a coat. Happened regularly. If they liked your coat, it was possible that if a Roman soldier was around, that it would be taken. So they're experiencing oppression, but they're also drawing lines in the sand with each other. Now again, I want to just give you a little bit of geography. So I'm on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. It's possible that Jesus at this point was standing right outside the town of Capernaum. He's on a hillside. He can see the Sea of Galilee over in front of him to the south. But to the southwest over here is the town of Tiberias. And the town of Tiberias is the center for a group called the Herodians. And the Herodians are a group of people who believe and follow and um, give political allegiance to, if they're called the Herodians, what would we say? They would follow Herod. They like the new politics of having this Jewish king that gives them some power, even though he's an illegitimate king. He's not of the line of David. And so there's this dividing line because here's this group of Jews who follow Herod. But over here is the town that I talked about not long ago. It's the town of Gamla. And Gamla is the center for the zealots. And the zealots completely reject Herod. They reject the idea that Herod is king and that he should be in control. He is an illegitimate king. They adhere to the line of David and they also adhere strongly to the law that is given. They're zealous for the law, thus the word zealot. The Herodians don't care so much about the law. They like the political power that comes with them simply being Jewish and politically following Herod. Guess what? Those people don't get along very well. In fact, there's lots of violence. We hear about that at different times in the text. We hear about uprisings. Even when um, Jesus was crucified, the person who was released in his place, Barabbas, was part of that sort of revolution, fighting them and fighting Rome. And in the middle you have Galilee. 
Galilee, this center for, if you almost want to call it a moderate Judaism, not adhering to sort of suffering through the reign of Herod, and also not trying to return the, the power back into the Jews ruling in Jerusalem. Not the same sort of idea as the zealots over in Gamla. So in the midst of all of this, Jesus is giving this teaching about being kind and loving your enemies. And even though Gamla and Tiberias are both about a five miles away, it's very possible that many of the people that Jesus was teaching that day would have refused to go into that town or that town because they were part of this group or that group. You don't cross those lines. They're tough lines to cross because if you did, you would be condemned by the people in your own party, your own camp, your own group. Battle lines are drawn and everyone is guarding their own own concerns. The Herodians are guarding their concerns. The zealots are guarding their concerns. Even the people of Galilee are guarding their concerns because it could be taken away from them. So you get isolated. You become, in essence, self-sufficient. We only deal with our people. We don't cross those lines. And the result of this isolation certainly is division. Everyone has their own areas, their own towns, their own places. Even when you went to Jerusalem, if you were a faithful Jew and you would go there for a, a observance of the festivals, there were certain parts of the city if you were a zealot, you wouldn't go to. There were certain parts of the city if you were Herodian, you wouldn't go to. Why? Because the other camp would be there. So you've got this isolation, you've got division, you've got conflict, you've got misunderstanding, and unfortunately we see that in the history of Israel. We have violence, even in the time of Jesus, violence. In fact, so much so that one of the reasons why Jesus is is crucified is because the leaders of the temple are terrified that if he takes over power, then through violence he will remove them from the power that they have. It's all about creating that division, that isolation, that self-sufficiency. We see the golden rule in the text in verse 31. And certainly that was lived out, but it was only lived out in certain contexts. You wouldn't live that out in the life of an enemy. You wouldn't live that out on the life of someone across the line. A zealot was not going to loan money to a Herodian or vice versa. A person in Galilee probably wasn't going to serve a person on the other side of any of those lines. You'd only do it within your group. Sure, the person across the street, the uncle down the road, if he needs, I'll give, I'll share, as we said before. All that other sort of stuff. But the fear is, is you water it down. If you are a zealot and you cross the line to be kind to a Herodian, then you aren't really being a zealot anymore because you're giving some sort of tacit approval to their perspective, their idea, their viewpoint. And you can't do that. They're wrong. We're right. You need to keep that self-sufficiency. You need to keep the lines drawn. You need to keep in your world. Otherwise, you're going to lose the power that you have to speak your truth, your ideas, your perspective. 
And you can see why Jesus' teaching was so controversial and revolutionary. Now, do we have any of those same sorts of lines in our world? Take your pick. What do we say in politics when somebody actually works with someone on the other side? We say they crossed the aisle. That's a line between Republicans and conservatives, or Republicans and Democrats. I'm sorry, I'm just thinking even of Canadian politics, because Canadian politics gets it a little bit better. I'm just, just saying. Because we've got like five, six different parties, and then none of them get along. So it, it works out much better. Everyone's just sort of divided and fighting. But we do that politically. But we also do that in other ways, don't we? We get into our Christian circles. Think about your social group. Who's in your social group? Who do you hang out with? What color are they? What culture are they? What is their primary language? And certainly, even when it comes to religion, look at the lines that are drawn in the world that we live in. Christians certainly don't get along with Jews nor Muslims, and the same is true for other groups, to the point that we get to violence, and in certainly the charged political climate that we have, those sorts of lines aren't easily crossed, especially because of the violence that is in the world. But even more than that, we have them individually. Think about parts of this city or other cities that you certainly wouldn't drive through and spend time in. There's certain neighborhoods, communities, where we have a fear or we have a concern for our safety. And there's certainly some places where, as Christians, we say we shouldn't go. Bars. We would say we shouldn't go to strip clubs. That's a good idea, actually. There's other places that we draw lines and fences around and say, we're not going to go there. But what's interesting about the text is that it pushes us to think exactly about doing that. Exactly about finding some of those lines that either have been drawn for us individually or culturally or corporately and saying, how do we bring the love of Jesus across some of those lines? And we hear that and of course we say, that's scary. That's difficult. That causes me concern and even angst because that would mean that I would have to go to places not only where I would be uncomfortable but even perhaps unsafe right I mean really if we're talking as the text does about crossing lines into enemy territory then there is a sense enough of conflict that there may be some sort of violence and yet it's there Can we simply ignore it? Jump over that part of the text because it's too hard to do? Jump over that part because it costs too much and forces us to look internally at what we are willing and able to do? The problem that 
we have with looking out for our own concerns. Oh, I'll give you another. I'll give you the previous line. Otherwise, I'll get in trouble with some of you. I know. We have a fear of crossing those lines because this would water down the faith or open us up to being taken advantage of. And the saying goes, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. We would say that if we would care for somebody, cross a line, and they would take advantage of us, that's their problem. But if we do it again, then we're just being foolish. What does the text say? The text says that's exactly where we're supposed to live. Those are exactly the sorts of experiences that Christ calls us to. In a couple of moments, I'm going to push some, or, or not push, I'm going to share with you what I believe the text says, and we're going to see just how much it cost God to be kind. The problem with us looking out for our own concerns is that we miss out on the enormous opportunities to show the love of Christ who those who need it the most. Our cocoon promotes disobedience. Pose this question. Who needs the love of Jesus? Those who don't have it. Who doesn't have the love of Jesus in our world? Muslims. Jews. Certain members of certain communities like those in the homosexual community who reject the church because it hasn't shown the love of Jesus. There are certainly people who are in that community who are followers of Jesus, yes, but there are many who aren't. There are people on the other side of the political aisle from us who don't have the love of Jesus. And if we're talking about showing the love of Jesus to those who do not have it, it's not simply the warm and fuzzy, the easy person beside us in our neighborhood or in our workplace. It's not just in those places. Certainly, as God calls us there, that's the sort of love that we engage in. But a lot of the time, folks, God's love is needed in places that we refuse to go. Our self-sufficiency and protectionist mentality and the idea that crossing that line would be unsafe promotes disobedience. And that's scary. It's scary for me because remember, I preach in a mirror here, folks. It means that those people, oftentimes, who make me the most angry and frustrated because of how they live, what they say, what they do, are exactly the people that God calls me to be kind to. And there's a cost for it, right? I mean, we look at some of the things that have happened in the last several months. Christians in Egypt being beheaded on video. A young American woman being killed because she seeks to go and be kind to a community that needs the love of Christ. 
Certainly, if we are kind to somebody who doesn't agree with us, we might be rejected. We might be repulsed from them. They might flat out condemn us. And that's where our fear comes in. If I cross that line, if I do this, if I do that, then I'm going to bear, pay the price for it. Scary stuff. But do you see in the text where it says, even if that does happen, what does it say? Your reward will be great. Even if you go across and you don't see success on the other side of the line, your reward will be great. It just may not be in that relationship. It may be in this one. In days to come. Maybe when Christ comes again. In fact, that's exactly what's going to happen. But we have that fear of crossing that line because it might do us harm. But look at what the text says. It says and calls us to exactly that. Into this divided world of Israel, very much like our own, Jesus speaks revolutionary words. You don't cross these lines. Jesus says, yes, you do. Well, if you cross the lines, you do so protecting and guarding yourself so you don't get hurt. No, you don't. Don't just cross battle lines. Ignore them. Forget about them. Don't look out for yourself. Don't be self-sufficient. In fact, do things that will harm you. He says, loan money to people who may, who not even may, you expect them not to pay it back to you. That's not good business. But it's good discipleship. And I know what you're saying. I know what you're thinking. I know what I can feel it. I can feel some of you screaming out to me in your minds. But God calls me to be wise and discerning. Yes, he does. And sometimes wise and discerning says, there is something better for me. Well, if there's something better for me, then I'm going to pursue that. What's better, money or wisdom? Money or discipleship? Personal safety or growth in following your Jesus, loving him, depending on him, and having faith in him? What's wisdom say? Which one's better? And that's why this is so revolutionary. And that's why it's so scary and terrifying for us, for me, all of us. Do things that may even harm you for the benefit of another, especially if that person is your enemy. That person is your enemy. Go and be kind. Go and share. Go and be generous. All these kind words that we talked about. And of course, the reason for that comes in verse 35. Verse 35 says this, love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back, then your reward will be great and you be children of the Most High 
because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Someone really quickly, really loudly, really clearly recite to me John 3.16. For whosoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Say the first phrase again. The world. It's not that God so loved the chosen. God so loved the good folks. God so loved the people who will accept me. God so loved the world. Cosmos. Everything. The whole business. God being kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Because God shared Jesus. The cost of God's kindness to creation. Cosmos. All of it. The world was Jesus. Knowing. God did that. Knowing. That that gift by some would never be returned. See, Jesus in this text is not just teaching how we can be like him. Jesus is teaching how in this text how we are him. Jesus is God's kindness to the world, reconciling enemies, God and those who reject them. How does that bridge get crossed? Jesus. And now God says to us through his son in the text, now you go and be me to the world, knowing the cost that I paid. God doesn't just give us a teaching. He gives us a character trait that is exactly who he is and he says live into this. You want to be truly kind? Ignore battle lines. Go, serve, love, be generous, share with your enemy. Because that's what God did in Jesus. That's what God did in Jesus for me. Because I was his enemy. And the only way that God could reconcile himself or myself with him was through his kindness of giving me Jesus. I don't know about you, but I hear that, I read that, I think that, and it terrifies me. Because we're talking about big, hard, tough, challenging things. This is hard stuff. Now, for us in the world that we live in, as we grasp this idea that true kindness is the way it calls us to be like him and to be him in this world, it will call us to some very different places than many of us are. It will call you and I to look at the lines that we have in our world, 
Look at the things that we think. When we watch television, when we see media, when we're walking down the street, when we're driving through the city, and you notice in your mind some sort of hesitation, there's a line there. That, that person that I'm watching on TV and hearing what they say, there's a line there. That coworker who brings up something they did this weekend, there's a line there. Where there are lines and you notice them and God in his Holy Spirit shows them to you, makes them clear to you. The question for us to ask is, how do I cross that line with Christ's love? How do I go into that place where I may not be received, where I may be rejected, repulsed, where I may not see success, but I will do so in faith that God's word is true and that what I offer, what I give, even what I lose in the crossing, I will be rewarded for in this life or in the next. doesn't matter. I don't care. I want to be obedient Listen to this question. Listen to this question. Listen to it. Asking who is good and nice in our world that we might be kind to them. No. Asking who is ungrateful and wicked in my world that I might show kindness to them. That doesn't sound right. But let me read it again from the text. Then your reward will be great. You will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Oh man. Place where God's word cuts right to the quick, gets to my very heart and soul. Folk, I'm not going to sell you a bill of goods. You're going to be a follower of Jesus. Welcome to hard life, complicated complex, challenging. Because if we're going to be Jesus to the world, we are called to show kindness to the ungrateful and to the wicked. We're called to give up stuff for the ungrateful and the wicked. We are called to open up ourselves even to rejection to the ungrateful and the wicked. Why? Because God did that for us in Jesus Christ. God's love calls us out of our self-sufficient cocoon so that others might actually see who he really is. God will use us to show them who he is. is he one, he's one who loves sinners even in their sin. That's who God is. And he is calling us to show that into the life of others. Um, Tony Campolo is an interesting guy. He is a Christian speaker. He, he was really um, sort of, he was called upon a lot um, in the 80s and 90s. He did all the tours and people heard them. How many of you ever heard Tony Campolo speak? Guy's got some passion, he got some fire, he brings some stuff. And he told this story, some of you might have heard it before, but I was thinking about kindness in places where lines are crossed. Kindness out of self-sufficiency. Kindness out of this protectionist world. This story came to mind and I want to share it with you. It's a story that he tells. It's a true story. A few years ago, Tony, Tony Campola flew to Hawaii to speak at a conference. 
And the way he tells it, he checks into his hotel and tries to get some sleep that night that he gets there. Unfortunately, his internal clock wakes him up at 3 a.m. And the night is dark, and the streets of Honolulu are silent, the world is asleep. But Tony, because he's on another time zone, is wide awake, and his stomach is growling. And he gets up, and he begins to prowl the streets, looking for a place to get some bacon and eggs for an early breakfast. And everything is closed except for a grungy dive in an alley. He goes in, sits down at the counter, and the guy behind the counter comes over and asks, what do you want? I guess that's the voice that people at Grungy Dives at 3 o'clock in the morning use. Tony isn't so hungry anymore, so eyeing some donuts under a plastic cover, he says, I'll have a donut and black coffee. As he sits there munching on his donut and sipping his coffee at 3.30 in the morning, in walk eight or nine provocative, loud prostitutes just finished their night's work. Tony Campolo is a pastor, line drawn. Prostitutes, pastor, that line. And they plop down at the counter and Tony finds himself uncomfortably surrounded by this group of smoking, swearing prostitutes. He gulps his coffee, planning to make a quick getaway. Then the woman next to him says to her friend, You know what? Tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. To which her friend nastily replies, So what do you want from me? A birthday party? Huh? You want me to get you a cake and sing happy birthday to you? First woman says, Come on. Why do you have to be so mean? Why have you put me down? I'm just saying it's my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should I have a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? Well, when Tony Campolo heard that, he said he made a decision. He sat and waited until the women left, and then he asked the guy at the counter, do they come in here every night? Yeah, he answered. The one right next to me, he asked, she comes in every night? Yeah, he said, that's Agnes. Yeah, she's here every night. She's been coming here for years. Why do you want to know? I see I didn't use the voice. I should have used the voice there. It would have been better. Because she just said that tomorrow is her birthday. What do you think? Think we could maybe throw a little birthday party for here, right here in the diner? Cute kind of smile crept over the man's chubby cheeks. That's great, he says. Yeah, that's great. I like it. Turns to the kitchen and shouts to his wife. Hey, come on out here. This guy's got a great idea. Tomorrow is Agnes's birthday, and he wants to throw a party for her right here. His wife comes out. That's terrific, she says. You know, Agnes is really nice. She's always trying to help other people, and nobody does anything nice for her. So they make their plans. Tony says he'll be back at 2.30 the next morning with some decorations. And the man, whose name turns out to be Harry, that's like the perfect diner guy name, Harry says he'll make a cake. 2.30 the next morning, Tony is back. He has crepe paper and other decorations and a sign made of big pieces of cardboard that says, Happy Birthday, Agnes. They decorate the place from one end to the other and get it looking great. 
Harry'd gotten the word out on the street about the party, and by 3.15, it seemed that every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. They were wall-to-wall. I'm just trying to imagine how you explain that to your church board. 3.30 on the dot, door swings open, and in walks Agnes and her friend. Tony has everyone ready. They all shout and scream, Happy birthday, Agnes! Agnes is absolutely flabbergasted. She's stunned. Her mouth falls open, her knees start to buckle, and she almost falls over. And when the birthday cake with all the candles is carried out, that's when she totally loses it. Now she's sobbing and crying. Harry, who's not used to seeing a prostitute cry, gruffly mumbles, blow out the candles, Agnes. Cut the cake. So she pulls herself together and blows them out. Everyone cheers and yells, cut the cake, Agnes, cut the cake. But Agnes looks down at the cake and without taking her eyes off it slowly and softly says, look, Harry, if it's all right with you, if, if, I, mean, if I don't, what I want to ask, is it okay if I keep the cake a little while? Is it all right if we don't eat it right away? Harry doesn't know what to say, so he shrugs and says, sure, if that's what you want to do, keep the cake. Take it home if you want. Oh, could I? She asks, looking at Tony. She says, I live just down the street a couple of doors. I want to take the cake home. Is that okay? I'll be right back, honest. She gets off her stool, picks up the cake, and carries it high in front of her like it was the Holy Grail. Everybody watches in stunned silence, and when the door closes behind her, nobody seems to know what to do. They look at each other, then look at Tony. So Tony gets up on a chair and says, what do you say we pray together? And there they are, in a hole in the wall, greasy spoon, half the prostitutes in Honolulu at 3.30 a.m., listening to Tony Campolo as he prays for Agnes, for her life, her health, and her salvation. Tony recalls, I prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. When he's finished, Harry leans over and with a trace of hostility in his voice, he says, hey, you never told me you was a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to anyway? One of those moments when just the right words come, Tony answers him quietly, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 33.30 in the morning. Harry thinks for a moment and in a mocking way says, no, you don't. There ain't no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. Yep, I'd join a church like that. True Kindness, true kindness, is one of those things that is really hard to do. This is a guy, Tony Campolo, puts his career at risk. A pastor surrounded by prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning in Honolulu. Imagine that headline in his community. 
He puts his safety at risk. He's in that alley. He's in the dark places. He's with people who don't know Jesus, including Harry, who gets a little ticked off when he finds out he's a Christian. It's uncomfortable because you're surrounded sometimes by these uncomfortable things. In Tony's case, sweaty women of the night. And yet, the power that that sort of life, that sort of kindness has to show the love of Jesus to a world that so desperately needs it is abundantly clear. It's what Christ did that changed the world. He was God's kindness to the world. And now he calls us to be that sort of line-ignoring, risking, not concerned for self, not self-sufficient, but dependent. He calls us to be that sort of kindness to the world that we live in. A difficult task, yes. But as we see in Tony and his story, and the lives of many others who have had the faith, the willingness, the trust, and God's spirit to lead them. When it happens, it changes the world. May God, in his wisdom, change the world through us who seek to be his kindness to the people that we see. Let's pray. Hope of the world, Jesus Christ, you are kindness. A kindness that is truly revolutionary. A kindness that calls us to places that certainly are uncomfortable, are risky, unsafe. Lord, there are places even where we can lose comfort. We can lose treasure. We might even lose our health or our lives. And yet, Lord, you have shown us in Jesus that that sort of kindness has power to change the world. May our desire be to experience that kindness from you. Know that we were once separated from you without that kindness of Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, in gratitude for what you have done through that to show us to others, Lord God, through the power of your spirit and your leading, guide us into those scary, challenging, dark places. When we're there, Lord, use us to show your love, grow your kingdom, and bring more and more glory on yourself. We pray these things in Jesus. Amen. Amen.